Well, good morning. Uh, uh, we are in the middle of a very short series, kind of going through how Jesus approached uh, trying times, how he approached it when people um, weren't kind to him, how he approached it when life seemed stressful. I know for some of you, if I were to ask you to make a list of all your stresses, there wouldn't be hardly anything on your list, one or two things. Other people would need more paper. I need more paper for all the things that are stressing me out. But no matter where you're at on that scale, we find that, that life has a way of bringing more. You know, maybe you have, a, you have several good weeks or months, and then all of a sudden there's more. And we've been trying to look at that through the last uh, couple of weeks, and if it's your first Sunday here, it's a good Sunday. The, the, they don't really build on each other exactly. It's just trying to approach this same thing from different angles. And, and la- a couple weeks ago, we looked at how Jesus dealt with it when people were, uh, when God was moving slow and God seemed distant. How do you keep moving forward there. And, and, then, and then last week, I uh, tried to look at Jesus felt this real compulsion to, to reach as many as he could, but time was limited. How did he handle that? How did he handle it when there weren't enough days to get everything done? And, and today, I, I want to kind of continue that thing because uh, the, kind of the quote that's tied it all together in my head is a Rick Warren quote. Life is a series of problem-solving opportunities. Some of you dealt with that this morning, just getting everybody ready into the car. There's a whole series of problem-solving opportunities. And when you're in the middle of it, it doesn't feel like that. It feels like just trouble. It feels like just problems. And, and I'm not saying this like, hey, look on the bright side. I don't, I don't mean that. I mean, sometimes it's awful, and you, it's okay to feel awful about it. But, but even the stuff like that, it's a chance for you to make a decision whether or not you're going to hold tighter to God or, or kind of go your own direction, either into worry or fretting or, or anger or, or whatever it else is that you do to cope. And, and so it's a chance, you know, to take a step closer to God or, or a step further away from Him. And I want to look at it like that because we're all the time dealing with stuff. We're all the time dealing with, uh, with things. Jesus did, and, and we should expect to, too. And okay, so for today, what I want to deal with is when Jesus is being uh, uh, unfairly... Uh, uh, picked at or criticized unfairly. People are trying to start arguments. Trying, people are trying to pick fights uh, with Jesus. I looked up this week uh, the word uh, troll. There's, there's a new definition. Normally troll was just an ugly creature. That was the first definition there. Uh, or the depending on your preference, maybe you think they're cute. But those guys on the top. Uh, a troll can be something you do for fish. You troll for fish. But, but it's also a person who makes deliberately offensive or provocative posts uh, normally done online. People are braver online. They don't have to actually see the other person. So you'll say things online that you'd never say uh, to somebody's face. But, but increasingly, I think people are, will troll you uh, face-to-face too. They'll, they'll on purpose try to set something up for you to react to. And then when you do, well, then they got you. And they, they delight in making you angry, delight in making you. And so how do you deal with people like that who are just on purpose kind of setting you up uh, for a fall? And, uh, and uh, it's made worse if people in your different areas, your, your work or your, your neighborhood or, or wherever else, if they know you're Christian. Now, I know some Christians uh, who are worried about that try to keep their Christianity as quiet as they can. But I don't think it's what we're called to. I think we're called to try to be a little more open about our faith. And when you are more open about your faith, there will always be someone who will want to troll you and just ask some hard question or some weird thing to get you off your game. And they're not really interested in the truth. They just want to make you look foolish. And so how should you react to those things? And how did Jesus react to those things? That's what I want to talk about today. So uh, three Jesus stories. They're all really short, and we'll go through them pretty quick. The first one, Jesus entered uh, the temple courts. 
And while he was teaching, the chief priests and elders of the people came and said, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? So a, a couple of things for context. First of all, this is in Matthew 21, uh, verse 23. Uh, right before this, Jesus clears the temple, takes a whip, and he goes in there and chases people out. And because he says, you're not here to worship, you're not here to pray, you're just buying and selling, and you're visiting with each other, but you're not, you're not getting any closer to God. He says, you've taken my father's house, which was supposed to be a house of prayer, and you've made it a den of robbers. He says, you're not, you're not focusing the right stuff. And so the, 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 these guys, the chief priests and the elders, they're kind of mad about it. What gives you the right to go clear the temple? Who do you think you are, Jesus? Well, what made you think that was a good idea? And so the question they ask him is, what gives you the authority to do it? They're not really dealing with Jesus intellectually, honestly here. They're not asking about whether it was right or wrong for him to do what he did. What they're asking instead is, well, who gives you the authority to do it? What makes you think you're qualified to make that kind of a decision? And I think people who troll one another, either online or, or face-to-face, will rely on this tactic. Uh, what makes you qualified? Are you a scientist? Are you a physicist? Are you a, are, you know, what makes you equipped to be able to handle whatever question this is? And, uh, and they, and they want to challenge you with it. Now, in Jesus' day, the way that a person was qualified was they would train under a rabbi for a certain amount of time. Uh, some rabbi would come say, follow me, and, and they would train. And Jesus, as far as we know, never did that. Uh, he was a carpenter before he became a preacher. He didn't train up under a rabbi. And in our day, it would be like asking somebody for their credentials. You know, are you a, are you a doctor? Are you a scientist? Show me what gives you the right to talk about this thing intelligently. And again, they're not after the truth. They just want to shut Jesus up. They just want him to quit talking, and Jesus, uh, he won't bite. Now, uh, one more thing I should mention about this, because I think it's kind of a curious thing. By going to him publicly like this, and they're doing it in front of all the people, he's teaching, and they go interrupt him and ask him. They're hoping to put him on his heels right away. That's always the effect of online uh, picking when you do that, because the whole world can read it. But, but, but even, I have a friend who's in a, who, who a minister also, and, and talking about their church, he said sometimes there's one of the, the deacons who will wait to the board meeting to get him. Right? He'll be mad about something, and he'll wait to the board meeting, and he'll zap him in the board meeting. And it's like it's so frustrating because I carry my phone around. You could call me anytime. If you really want to know what's going on, I'd be thrilled to answer. Why do you wait for the board meeting? Well, because he wants to get him, right? He's hoping by doing it in that form with everybody looking that he'll get him. And, and that's what's going on here, too. They're wanting to, to pick at Jesus. So Jesus says, well, let me ask you a question. And if you'll answer my question, I'll answer yours. He said, uh, he said John's baptism. And he's talking about John the Baptist. He was a prophet before Jesus and did a lot of things. He said, well, where did that come from? What, in other words, what authority did John have? Was it from heaven or from human origin? And they discussed it amongst themselves. They said, if we say from heaven... Well, he's going to say, why didn't you believe him? Because John's big message was, listen to Jesus. Really, that was John's big message. Listen to Jesus. He's coming. Here he is. Listen to him. So if you think he's from heaven, why didn't you listen to him? On the other hand, if you say, well, no, he's just from human origin, well, then they were scared to say that because they were afraid the people would turn on. Again, they're not really interested in the truth. It's not really even about the truth. It's just about uh, how do we get through this argument? So they discussed it, and they answered Jesus, well, we don't know for sure. And then Jesus said, well, I'm not going to tell you that. Um, I'm not going to get into it. 
And it's a kind of a, a, a really short little story, but it gives you a couple of pieces of ammunition that maybe you need. The first one is, you don't have to answer every question you're asked. And you don't have to participate in every argument you're invited to. You don't. Sometimes you can just smile and say, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not getting into this. I've had people ask me sometimes in front of a big crowd, and, and uh, well, what's your stance on whatever? You know, where do you stand on uh, abortion or gay marriage or, or immigration or, or COVID, how we doing with COVID or whatever? And they're not asking me because they want the truth. They're asking me because they've got two or three friends there, and they're hoping I'll say something that they can all jump on me with. And you don't have to jump into every argument. Sometimes you can just smile, you know. I'm building a deck across the road, and, and Julia was gone all day yesterday, and when she got back, first thing she said to me is, uh, is this supposed to be crooked? And you don't have to jump into every argument. I just smiled. I just smiled. I said, yes, and then I walked away. That's how they're doing it now, I said. And I walked away. You don't have to jump into every argument. You, you, you don't, especially when the intention of the other person is not honest. When they're not trying to figure stuff out, they just want to hurt you. I've also found, especially on some of the issues we're getting into, kind of a common thing to say is, well, what makes you qualified? If you were to talk about abortion or something like that, well, what makes you qualified to have an opinion on that? You know, what makes you an opinion, a qualified person to have an opinion about uh, transgender issues? What makes you a qualified person to have an opinion about evolution? What kind of scientist do you think you are? And, and to that, I would just say, first of all, again, you don't have to get into the argument. Because truthfully, it, it's, it's just smoke screens to cover from the main thing. We'll talk about that here in a second. But, but even if you do, I don't have to be qualified to say that this world has some design. Look around. I don't have to be qualified as a psychiatrist to say, it seems like morally our country continues to slide. What's going on with that? And, and it seems like some of the leaders that we're having raise up in our kingdom, even those leaders continue to slide. You know, do, do you think we'll live long enough as a country to have another guy like Lincoln as president? Doesn't it seem like all the great, the great guys are not popping up like they used to? Doesn't it seem like that's happening? I don't be qualified to say that. I mean, look around. And, and you know, the stuff that really pushes any one of us to God, this brokenness we feel inside of us, I, don't we all feel it? So sometimes the, the, the questions about authority and rank and all that stuff, you can dodge all those and, and don't feel like you have to jump into it. Jesus didn't, and you don't have to either. Okay, that's the first story. Second story, well, right after that, that's the first thing that happened. Well, I mean, right after that, there's like one little story in between these, but it's all the same, the same meeting time. Uh, the Pharisees went out and laid a plan to trap him. Well, here's how we'll get him. And so they sent their disciples, not, not real Pharisees, like Pharisees in training, guys coming up. Maybe they'll be a little less threatening. They sent them with the Herodians. And more, normally, these two groups of people hated each other. The Herodians were very political uh, the Pharisees were very religious. They normally hated each other. This is like uh, Mitch and Pelosi getting together, like uh, Pepsi and Coke, uh, Knight and Katie, and that, that kind of thing. And they're, and they're going together. And, and, and that should have put you off your game right there. But they both hate Jesus. They both think that Jesus is a threat. The Herodians are worried he's a threat politically, and the Pharisees are worried he's a threat to their authority in, in religion. And so they both want him out of the way. And so they start with flattery. Teacher, they say, hey, we know you're a man of integrity. 
You know, you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You're not swayed by others. You don't pay any attention to who they are. And so, so, uh, so tell us then, what's your opinion? So the whole point, by the way, of that introduction, all that flattery, is to get him off it, two things. To, to butter him up, first of all. But by saying that in front of the whole crowd, right, they're daring him just to give a straight answer. They're daring him just to give a straight answer, and when they give that straight answer, well, then they're going to get him. Because this question, is it right to pay taxes, it was a loaded question. If he says, yes, it's right, the people were crippled under the taxes. You know, you'll see sometimes Republicans and Democrats argue about taxes, and one group, whoever's in power wanting more taxes, will say, well, we need taxes to pay for our roads. We need taxes to pay for our police. We need taxes. You know, that tax money comes right back to us. But that's not how the tax worked there. The Jewish people were taken, the money was taken away, and it was sent to Rome, and they would never see it again. It was designed to keep them poor so they couldn't rebel and, and by some estimates, 50% of their money was going to Rome. It wasn't some little tax. It was, it was crippling. It hurt a bunch. And if Jesus says, well, hey, yeah, pay your taxes, well, then all those people are going to be mad at him. Don't you understand what we're going through, Jesus? On the other hand, if he says, yeah, don't pay your taxes. It's unfair. And it was unfair. He could have said that too. Don't pay your taxes. Well, then Rome's going to see him as a threat. And that, so the whole deal's a, a, a trap, and they're trying to pin him, and they're trying to, to trick him, and they're trying to get him in trouble. But Jesus knows their evil intent. And so he says, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? He says, show me a coin used for paying the tax. And they, they pull one out, and they brought him a coin, a denarius, and they said, and Jesus said, well, whose image is on there? Whose inscription? And they said, well, that's Caesar's. And so he said, well, then give Caesar what's Caesar's, and give God what's God's. And when they heard it, they were amazed. And they walked away. Uh, um, it's just three or four or five things. First of all, this is one of my favorite stories about Jesus in the whole Bible. I, I just think, I think, I think it's an amazing story because I think it, it illustrates something about Jesus that I believe gets very little press. He was about the smartest man any one of them had ever ran across. He's just really smart. Um, uh, we talk about his goodness and his holiness and his patience and his love and all those things are true. But Jesus had a lot of horsepower going on up here. The idea that he could just think of this answer off the cuff is amazing to me. When I read stuff like the Sermon on the Mount or the Prodigal Son, I might be thinking, well, maybe he sat down and wrote that ahead of time. He prepared it, right? He planned. I could do that. But, but this kind of fast reaction, this impressive stuff, because he answers their question, right? They've pinned him to make him answer, and he answers it, but he answers it with so many levels, right? Okay, first... Pay your taxes, right? And so I bring out a dollar bill. Well, whose image on it? Washington. Okay, well, then give Washington what's Washington's. You know, that's the same idea. Pay your taxes. You know, you're a citizen, pay your taxes. So he answers it, but at the same time immediately declares, but God's more important than taxes, and God's more important than Caesar. So he's saying, you know, give Caesar what's Caesar's unless it gets in the way of God. Then you've got to make God first. We have to obey God rather than men. That's what Peter will say later in Acts 5.29. So we've got to obey God. God's always got to be first. We don't have to uh, mess up on a lot of things. But, but if we don't get God right, then all the other stuff doesn't matter. Also in this answer, there's, he's explaining what money's about. And you know, 
all of us worry about money. We, we do. If you have to buy a car or if you need to buy a house, if you need to buy uh, clothes for the kids going to school and, and, and you, you, you worry about the money and you count it all up, you get closer to retirement, you start watching your IRA or your, or, your, or your Roth and you see if it goes up or down with the stock market and you can really stress out and worry about that and think about how much money you've made or lost and then when you're retired you're on a fixed income and you're focused on money and money's always eats up a lot of our attention. But Jesus says, you know, as important as money is, it's just not as important as God. You're going to be dead a lot longer than you're going to be alive. And one of these days, you're going to have to stand in front of the Lord, and that's all that's going to matter. All the other stuff is just Legos. It's, it's nothing. It's just, it's just stuff you use to play with for a while. And then you're going to stand in front of God. And in that moment, that's all that's going to matter. All the other stuff is second rate. And when Jesus gives this answer, hey, give Caesar what's Caesar's. It's just stuff. But your soul, right? You're made in the image of God. So you give God what's God's. You give God yourself. And if you give God yourself, let Caesar worry with whatever Caesar's going to worry with. But you give God you. And everything else starts to make sense. And, and, of course, the Pharisees and the Herodians, they see this. I mean, they see it immediately, what, what he's done. That's why they walk away. And so, here again, Jesus gives us some advice for what we're supposed to do. Now, none of us are as smart as Jesus, so you don't have to necessarily have a zinger to come back with. That's, that's not necessarily a thing. But, 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 the, but, but you still can pick up some lessons here. And one of them is, you can be right and be wrong at the same time. I see sometimes Christians get baited, especially online, into having some sort of an argument about something that might be important. It's just not the main thing. You know, you, you can have a very strong opinion about abortion or about LGBTQ issues or about uh, uh, anything, immigration, taxes. I mean, you can have, should, COVID, masks, have strong opinions about those things. None of that's wrong. Have strong opinions. But always, as a Christian, recognize this is not the main thing. And if you win your argument with, on that thing, that little thing, but lose that person from Jesus, you've lost the bigger war. So it's always got to have this higher plan. Lifeway Research, Lifeway is a Baptist uh, organization. Lifeway Research does a thing called the State of Theology. You can look this up online, the Lifeway Research State of Theology, and they survey people who identify as evangelical, and they ask them where they stand on different issues. As you might expect, maybe, maybe you wouldn't, I don't know, but as you might expect, 84% of the ones surveyed believe that sex without marriage is, is sinful. You shouldn't have sex if you're not, if you're not married. 84% of, of those surveyed agreed. However, only 60% of those surveyed believe that Jesus is God. Well, there's a lot of things like that in the survey. What it makes me realize as a preacher is maybe we have been very good at talking about the small issues, because comparatively, sex before marriage is a smaller issue, and have forgotten the core issues, that Jesus is God. And that one day you're going to stand before him and your only hope is him. I mean, a person could win an argument about, you know, the abortion thing was just there. You could win an argument about abortion, but do it in such a way as that you lose that person for Christ. 
and, and, and you've lost in that moment. I mean, no matter where a person stands on, 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 on that issue, th- that's not going to determine whether they get to heaven or not. What's going to determine whether they get to heaven or not is if whether they're tied to Jesus. And then Jesus will work that out with them. I'm not saying that there's sin, abortion's wrong for whatever that's, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say here. I'm, 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 I, I have a strong opinion about that too. But, but, but the main thing is always Jesus. You know, when we, we find some little small thing to pick at each other about and say, well, they're sinners because they believe it. You're sinners. <laughs> We're all sinners. I mean, the, the only thing that separates us from, from anybody else is that we've tied ourselves to Christ. The only thing that's ever going to make any difference ever is that we've tied ourselves to Christ. And He is God. And, and, and our every inclination is to sin. And unless we tie ourselves to Him and let Him grab a hold of our soul and our spirit and really devote ourselves to Him, we're hopeless. So you always keep in mind the bigger issue. So all these lessons work together. Uh, you don't have to jump into every fight you're in, but when you jump into a fight, remember that the main thing is to try to bring anybody closer to God. That's all that's going to matter. Now, this is in Mark, if, you're, if you watch the stuff on the bottom of the screen. But it's the same section. I just like how Mark talks about it better, so I use Mark's version. It's in Matthew and Mark and Luke. It's the same section. That, that right after Jesus cleanses the temple, he gets into these three arguments. And there's more that I could have done, but these three pop up in all, all the stories. And so, same section. Right after the, he just talked to the pay taxes to Caesar. Right after that, one of the teachers of the law comes up to Jesus. He heard him debating, and he noticed that Jesus gave a good answer. And so he asks him, of all the commandments, Jesus, which one's the most important? Now, the, the teachers of the law believed that there are 613 commands in the Bible. Uh, 248 that are positive, hey, go do this. Uh, 365 that are negative, hey, don't go do that. And, and the teachers memorized all of them, and they tried real hard to obey all of them. And he's not asking Jesus which ones don't matter. That's not what he's saying. It's the same thing I've been saying. What's most important? All this is important. What's most important? All this matters. What matters the most? Right? And so Jesus answers him. He says the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, um, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, with everything, right? Give, give God everything. You, your, your heart is where your emotions sit. Give God your, your passion. Some of you know how to be passionate about football teams, even not very good football teams. You know how to be passionate about, about a car. I've seen guys who are passionate about a car, just love on that car, you know, when they're there. I know people who are passionate about a certain band or a certain style of music, people who are passionate about their state or where they live, passionate about their political party. Passion's neither good nor bad, but you should be passionate about God. It should inspire passion in you. It should not be dull, and you control most of that. Like I said, I've, I've known guys who will hang on to a bad football team for years, right? I am a Cincinnati Reds fan. Their last good year was 1990, and I hang in there because you never know. Well, actually, you do know. This year will be terrible. Next year, probably too. But after that, you never know. I just keep waiting. You're supposed to have that kind of passion for God. And with all your soul, that's who you are inside, you're, you're, how you, you process the world, how you think. With all your mind, that's your plans, your, your agendas, your, your motives, 
all your strength. It's not just inside. You're, you're doing something with it. it. It matters to you. Jesus says this is the most important command in the whole Bible. And, and because it's a command, you can choose this. You, you choose this. Uh, love, love has an emotional quality, that's for sure, but I, I choose it. If, if I was only kind to my wife and children when I felt great passion, it'd be a lot less. If I was only kind to my friends when I just felt great passion for the friendship, I'd be kind a lot less. You, you make a choice. These are my people, right? These are my guys. These are, these are who I'm with, and, and I love them. I'll take a bullet for them. They matter to me more than anyone else. He says, choose this with God. And he says, the second command, the guy didn't ask for two. He asked for one, but Jesus gives him two as a bonus. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. And again, the point being, right, how do you love God? Well, you show it partly by how you love everybody else. Love should overflow. If I'm loving God like I should, it should overflow to people. It should. Well, well said, the guy says, the teacher. Well said, teacher, the man replied. Well, you're right saying that God's one. There's no other but him. And to love God with all your heart and all your understanding and all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself, that's more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, on this, you need to remember the context. It's the very first thing I said in my sermon, or almost the first thing. What's all this about? Why are they asking him about his authority? Why are they asking him about where he stands with Caesar? Why are they asking him? Well, it's because he just cleared the temple. He just shut it down. He just ran everybody out of there. In fact, in a few days when they get ready to crucify him, that's going to be one of the accusations. This man said he's going to destroy the temple. And so, and so this guy says, you know what, Jesus, you're right. Loving God and loving people, that's more important than temple stuff. It's a big thing for this dude to say. And Jesus looks at him, and he saw the man answered wisely, and he said, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You're almost there. In other words, all you've got to do now is follow me. Because Jesus is God. You've got all of it right except for that. Just come follow me. And after that, nobody wanted to ask him anything else. Again, even on this thing here, we see, we see lessons. The big one, of course, is that it's all about God. It's all about God. Jesus, on all of his answers, usually brings it back to that. Second, Jesus, when he sees this guy, has an honest heart. He's not trying to score points on Jesus. He just wants to know what the truth is. Let's just have a conversation. He's not trying to start a fight. He just wants to figure stuff out. Jesus helps him. He answers directly and then again encourages the guy to keep taking steps. He doesn't, he doesn't dismiss him out of hand, teacher of the law, oh, you're the enemy. He doesn't do that. And people do that. I know people who do that. If you're on the wrong political party from me, or if you're wearing a mask when I'm not, or not wearing one when I do, or if you're, or you're against me, you're on the bad side, and I have nothing to do with you because you're like that. Jesus never does that. This teacher of the law, he brings him right in. He talks to him. He says, hey, listen, you're so close. And at the end of the day, it's, it's all about relationships. And Jesus loves the guy. He loves you, and Jesus gives everything for us. The whole cross behind me here is how Jesus laid his life down for us. Jesus sacrificed everything for us, 
And one day, when I have to stand in front of him and I give all of my stuff to someone else to watch for a while, he'll be my only hope. Earlier, when Josh asked us to all be quiet, um, this happened first service to me too. Um, I'm struck again by how unusual that is. We're, we're not used to quiet. And when it gets quiet for two seconds, you, 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 you try to listen for something, you know. And I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. I heard somebody's alarm go off, and it, it distracted me too. Oh, man, something. Because your ear hunts for something, right? Just to be so quiet for a second, it's hard. It's just crazy hard because your mind chases things. And I'm just hoping he'll start talking again pretty soon because it's just, I'm not used to just being quiet. But it's good to be quiet because in that moment when it's just me and my thoughts, I start to see what really matters to me. What bubbles up first? You know, what do I think about? And, uh, and I find that I have to fight sometimes to think about the things that are most important. I've got to fight sometimes to think about God and where I stand with God. It's a weird thing about being just dust and ashes like I am, but I, 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 I think about everything else. I think about how I should have gotten one of those long johns before they were all gone out in front, or I think about uh, the, the deck and how part of it's crooked and what I need to do to fix that, or I think about what I'm going to do this afternoon or, or, or uh, whether I like the songs or don't, or whether I... Your mind just chases a thousand things, whether your team won yesterday or is going to win today, or, or whether, oh, I got to call that person, and, and you, you, you just, you don't think about the main things. My mind chases a thousand rabbits, and when we come to this place, what's supposed to happen is just for a moment, right, in our week, we get real clarity about what we're doing. And what I want to give you as this moment, real clarity, it's only going to matter where you stand with God. It's only going to matter how you relate to one another. And when you weigh your feuds or your grudges or your everything else against that, hopefully it makes you realize that it's not worth the energy. Hopefully it makes you more inclined to forgive as you've been forgiven. And, and when you think about God, hopefully it makes you inclined to, to want to grab a hold of him and ask God again to come into your heart and, and to make some difference in your life. This is the whole thing. So I'm going to pray with you. And, and while I pray, the band will make their way up and, uh, and we'll sing a couple more songs. Pray with me. Dear Lord God, I, I thank you for this group. God, there's a lot of stuff going on for every one of us all the time. We've got so many things we're trying to get done, so many things we're in charge of, so many people who depend on us, and we feel the weight and the pressure of it. In addition to that, God, some of us are dealing with bad doctor's reports or bad financial reports, bad report cards. Work uncertainty. And God, it's so easy for us to get focused on all of those things and, and not focus our attention on you when you said, 
that was the main thing. God, we get caught up fighting all these stupid little fights about all these stupid little things. And at the end of the day, the only thing that's going to matter is where I stand with you. And there are people in here, God, who aren't sure where they stand with you. So God, I ask you to burn a fire in us. And if anybody needs to take steps to draw close to you today, God, let them, let them do it. In Christ's name, amen. So as we, here, stand up.